Let's come and look at God's Word. I'm looking at uh, Colossians chapter 3 and uh, just looking at these few verses from verse 15 through 17. And uh, just part of them, and it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing you with one, one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Now, we spent a bit of time looking at all different parts of this. Today, we're just going to focus on the thankfulness that comes through this particular theme. Let's pray now and ask God's help. Father God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the evidence of your mercy shown to us each day. But Father, we ask now as we look at your word, as you have brought this blessing into our hands and into our hearts, we ask for the work of your Holy Spirit to comprehend the depths of what you have revealed to us here that we may receive it, that we may believe it, that we may live it, and that we may rejoice in it. And in so doing, bring you honour. So, Father, guard my lips from anything stupid. Guard our hearts from the distractions and the cares of this life which encroach, that we may receive your blessing through your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One phrase that I find that I hear or read often in advertising and in people's conversation and in social media is the phrase, you deserve this. You come across that one? Somehow something happens and they say, you deserve it. Well, sometimes it may be true, such as when we talk about our wages or something that we've worked hard for, such as success in exams. But this phrase, you deserve this, often reflects a sense of entitlement that has grown up in our culture. It's the idea that somehow the universe owes us good things, happiness and prosperity. And one thing we need to acknowledge is that good things do happen to many people. It's great. But this sense of entitlement often means that we can look at these good things as something that is owed to us. It's closely allied that other word that comes up occasionally is karma. You've come across that one? Somehow that there's a sense of justice built into the way the universe works. And it's interesting to note that karma is usually applied to other people. They, they got what they deserve when that judgment hit them. But of course, when something good happens... I deserve it. There are two, there's something seriously wrong with both this idea of karma and the sense of entitlement. Both fail to acknowledge the person who orders and upholds the working of the universe. The material universe itself has no consciousness nor any sense of justice either to bless or punish. And it's interesting to observe that all people have this deep sense of justice. Even when they say karma, they're sitting there saying, well, something, you know, they did something wrong and they got some kind of recompense. But we find that this sense of justice sometimes is distorted in our working and it may be in our thinking. It reflects how we have been made as moral creatures before God with some sense of law of justice and right and wrong that's built into us. You only have to look at your kids and you see this happens. How many times have your kids has heard your kids say, he got more than me? I can see from the chuckle. Oh, it happens, doesn't it? And we've said it, I'm sure. And uh, looking at this idea of thankfulness, we find in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, uh, and onwards, the, these words. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God, nor give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They refused to acknowledge God in the workings of his creation. And they refused to give thanks to him. And uh, this, this ingratitude is the essential mark of the unbeliever. The refusing to acknowledge and honour God. They did not acknowledge the person that brought into being and upholds the whole work of the creation. They did not give thanks to him. And we failed to express our gratitude to God for his goodness to us. Goodness that we see every day. Now I want you to use your deep imagination or deep memory for a moment. If you can, think back to the time in your life before you were a Christian. Now, this may be several decades for some of you, but that's good. But if you can think back to that time, were there joys in your life even back then? Yeah. Did you have happy days, perhaps summer days at the beach? Not a reti, it gets cold. Or out with friends? Did you enjoy the food that was served up for you each day? And you have to say, most times. Did you have friends that you had adventures with, with whom you kicked the ball around the park after school? Did you ever have love in your life? Love of parents and relatives or friendships? Did we then even understand that these good things came from God? That it was his kindness to us that even in these things, even though we deserve punishment because of our sin, nevertheless he gave these things to us to enjoy. And thankfulness expressed to God for all his goodness shown to us in our lives was expected from every person. Yet did we acknowledge or give thanks to God? No. I've only ever come across one person in my experience in working in churches who in their non-Christian days sought to give thanks to God. When I was helping to shepherd a small church in Altona West in Melbourne when I was at Bible College, which was back in 1980, so... You can do the math. Uh, Anne and I visited a young lady from the church who shared with us her story and she recounted how her husband and she had a, a recently had a young baby. If there's any other kind, let me know. Uh, um, and, and soon afterwards, she had this newborn baby in her arms and she was looking at this baby and her, her heart and her mind was filled with a deep sense of joy and happiness at this young little life that had come into their life. And so she had this deep sense that she had to go and give thanks to someone. Thanks to someone. And so she happened along to this little church and there she found the someone to whom thanks were due. And she became a follower of Christ as she grew in the knowledge of the gospel. And this sense of thankfulness is part of that new life which God has given us, which corrects this fault that was in our old life. And in coming to these verses in Colossians 3, I'm sure that this theme of thankfulness has been obvious, even though we've missed it out up till today. In verse 15 of chapter 3, he says, Be thankful. Be thankful. And then at 17, he talks about our singing, and he says, With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then in verse 17, he says, Giving thanks to God the Father through him, that is through Christ. And in these verses, there's a progression in the words about thanksgiving that I'd like to unpack a little this morning. 
And so let's start with this comment in verse 15, which reads, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. And the first truth I want you to take note of this morning is simply this. Thankfulness is a choice. Thankfulness is a choice. We are again confronted with a command in this passage. There are several here in this passage we read. He says, the other commands, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's a command. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is a command. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are commands. Firm expectations that we are to take to heart and focus on doing. And here we have this another command, be thankful. And the obvious thing whenever we encounter a command like this is that we can see what our response should be, but we recognize that that response is not automatic, doesn't happen by itself. We are not and never are on autopilot. It's a conscious choice on the part of the Christian. Now, I want you to think for a moment. You've come across the law of gravity. Be thankful for it. Helps us stay close to the earth which is not a bad thing. But uh, the, the, God doesn't command us to obey the law of gravity. We have no choice. And as so long as God orders the cosmos to functions in the way that we, it will continue to do so, there'll come a time when God orders the cosmos to work in a different way, when those Christians who are alive at the coming of Christ will ascend to meet him in the air. That's going to be against the law of gravity. God's going to change everything. But in the meantime... We're still attracted to this planet. Still keeps our feet on the ground and keeps us safe from floating off into space. Gravity has its place. But we don't even think about obeying the law of gravity. It just happens. But as creatures created with spiritual understanding, the laws that he commands are those that we must choose to obey. This is part of that new heart that God has put into us. If we do not choose, there is no force that will compel us to obey. You ever tried to teach, tell your kids to do something? Of course, all the time. And of course, they instantly obey us, don't they? All the time. Of course, uh, that's not the case. They will comply, sometimes for positive reasons, sometimes for negative reasons. Sometimes they won't comply. But they'll learn that choices have consequences. If I try to do my Superman impersonation from the shed roof, it'll hurt. If I tell lies to my wife or children, which is a moral choice, it brings other kinds of pain and the breakdown of trust. So all the commands that God gives us, given for our good, but they must be choices that we make if we want to honour God and how we live. And when we contrast our responses to God's commands, we grow in amazement that this God has dealt with us in grace. We grow more and more to see that we are not entitled to any mercy from God. But the joy of understanding and experiencing more and more of the peace of Christ leads us to thank him. And growing in our understanding of this peace given to us should lead us more and more to be thankful. And so thankfulness is commanded. And it's a choice we need to make. And then we move on to verse 16, which says, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's a second truth I want you to take note of here, is that thankfulness is an attitude of heart. 
It's not external. It's not something that we just do with our hands. It's something that starts deep in the inner person. It is an attitude of our heart. Many of us as parents have had the challenge of getting our children to express an apology for things done wrong or to express thanks for kindnesses shown. If I tried to get a kid to say thank you, oh yeah, fun, isn't it? You almost sort of, you know, sort of have to twist their arms, metaphorically at least, to get the words out. And sometimes even when the words did come, body language and attitude often showed that it was just lip service. But God in his mercy has given us a new heart with new understandings and new attitudes. So expressing heartfelt thanks to God should not be an issue with us. Even when things go wrong, we are still to acknowledge God's grace to us. Now, I've been, I've been reading Job again, which is great. It's a good book. And Job went through some really rough times. And in verse, chapter 1, verse 20, we are told, And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That even in the midst of the bereavement of all his family and the, the, the death of his sons and daughters and, and their families, Job was still able to acknowledge that God is still good. At the end of the book of Job, we read these words in chapter 42, verse 1. And Job answered the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that I, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, you'll know between that statement in chapter 42 and that statement in chapter 1, there's a large section of Job where Job bewails his condition. Yes, he's had this tremendous bereavement. His wife was estranged from him. Then his health went down the toilet and these weeping sores broke out across the whole of his body. And then he had to argue his case with all his friends. And they... It came to him with some misunderstandings about how the universe actually functioned. And they said that instances of suffering were the result of God punishing instances of sin. And Job says, no, it's not always that way. And he could not identify any example of sin like that in his life. But on the way, as we move from chapter 3 through to chapter 42, we find that Job came to the edge at times of expressing what was almost a sense of entitlement where he was saying, well, God, come and explain to me why this is happening this way. Why, what did I do to deserve this? You ever said that? Yeah. As God dealt with him in all of this, we find that all of this was Job growing in understanding of the greatness of his God and of his relationship with God. He said in verse 5 of chapter 42, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And humility was the result. 
So let's not cherish in our hearts any sense of deserving or entitlement before God. Understanding of who God is and who we are brings humility before God. And as a result, a deep sense of thankfulness for his mercy, for any mercy which he has shown to us. And there's a third truth here that's also in verse 16. And he says, thankfulness has an object, is to be directed towards God. Thankfulness has an object. Our thankfulness is to be directed towards God. We are to give thanks to God. It is good to start off with that attitude of heart where we are thankful. But then it must be expressed. It's all very well walking around saying, I think it's it's wonderful to worship God. Get on and do it. That's what he's saying. We must come and direct our worship and our thankfulness to God. In the US and a few other places, they have uh, just had the Thanksgiving celebration. And this is to be more than just vague feelings of gratitude for the good things in life. And the Founding Fathers had this day where they set aside to consciously give thanks to God for all the blessings which he had given. Whether it's uh, celebrated that way in every home, almost certainly not the case. But nevertheless, God gave his blessing to them and they sat down and set a day aside consciously to celebrate and give thanks to God. And we must learn to understand that all the good things in our lives come from this person who created all things and who now upholds all things and who rules the whole of his creation. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 says this, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God's example, he actually pours out his goodness at this moment on everybody. Okay. Yes, there's tough life, things in life. But you know, step out there. It's actually, yeah, look, look, look quickly because the sun's shining. All right. <laughs> and it may rain before we get home. So we have all God's blessings in one day. How's that? Uh, I just, all those days of constant drizzle and blessing, uh, something which wear you down a bit, but God sends all those things to us. He causes the seeds to grow. The life that he's placed into each seed that falls to the ground is not built into the seed. It is not independent of God. He causes each seed to germinate and put forth roots and leaves to grow. And from many of the plants that comes forth food for us and, and for the animals. And God is the one who feeds the wild animals. Read through the latter chapters of the book of Job. He says, he feeds, not has fed, feeds the wild donkeys. He looks after them. Okay? He's the one that provides the food for the sparrows each day. Busy. And we need to grow in our understanding that the one who orders the whole of the cosmos, the whole of the planet, in doing so shows his grace and kindness to all. The provision and blessings we receive come to us not because of something that in the molecules of the earth, but because of God who continues to make the molecules of the earth obey him in bringing forth life. Now, we can study plants and animals. Not much fun as studying physics, but it needs to be done. And, uh, and we should. Now, farmers depend upon God, and so continuing this pattern that life produces life. He sustains this pattern. He brings new life out of the seed. He provides according to the pattern he set at creation. 
that everything living will bring forth new life after its own kind. Life begets life as the evidence of God's continued working in each seed and each animal that produces young. You'll notice that rocks don't function this way. God deals with the rocks differently. You can't put two rocks together and come with a family of rocks in the morning. It doesn't work, um, thankfully. But at the same time, God does work in those seeds each year. Why should we give and direct our thanks to God? The author of life continues to uphold life moment by moment, uh, working in the functioning of every part of his creation. The creation itself is not God. It's not built in and cannot function independently from God, not even for a nanosecond. Now, let's just extend this a little bit. Mums and dads may find this next challenge a little bit easier than others, but imagine, mums and dads, that as you provided a place for your children to live, you put warm clothes on them and put food on the table, Imagine that your children lived in the home you provided, wore the clothes that you provided and ate the food, but never once said to you, thank you. For all that you did, how would you feel? Here, God has provided this whole creation for us. And yet, that neglecting to say thank you to him is so easy. You ever notice that we have to teach our children to say thank you when we give them good things? Part of your work as mum and dad is to teach your kids to be grateful. You ever been embarrassed when you've been out visiting friends and your children failed to say thank you to your host when given a drink or a biscuit? Yeah, I can, I can identify. It, it works. You've got to teach your kids to be appropriately and show appropriate gratitude for the good things God has given us. And what, in the context of our social life, when people do good things for us. A large part of our growing in Christ is learning what amazing things God has done and is doing for us and has promised for us to do for us in the future. This is learned. It is not something which suddenly just sort of appears in our hearts. It is learned. And as the word of Christ dwells in us, part of the richness that comes to us is this growing awareness of just how wonderful and great is the work of God on our behalf. When we first became Christians, we got a glimpse of the goodness of God. As we grow in Christ, our understanding of this goodness grows. And one of the blessings of getting older, one blessing of getting older is that we can look back and see more and more of the evidence of God's love and care given to us in the good times and in the times of tragedy and sorrow his goodness and mercy have followed us all the days of our lives and so we give thanks to God moving on from there in verse 17 One truth I want you to see from verse 17. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the fourth truth I want you to see coming from verse 17 is, thankfulness is an activity. It is something that we choose to do. In other words, starting with an attitude of thankfulness, it must give rise to an activity of thankfulness. Now imagine for a moment, you know, there you are, you have your, your wife or your husband sitting opposite, you're deeply in love, but you never say it. You never say it. You never say, I love you. 
Now, I'm sure that's not the case in your situation. But imagine if it was. How tragic. And, of course, the natural expression of the heart in real love is to express it in practical ways but also in words. The joy that comes from being able to say to someone, I love you. And so when it comes to thankfulness and expressing our joy with God, we find that this is also something that we need to do. When it comes to others in their lives that have done good things for us, it's not sufficient to just have feelings of gratitude. We must express them as part of our verbalised prayer. Now, just to remind you, some of you have come across this mnemonic acts when it comes to prayer. All right, so acts, adoration, praising God for who he is, confession, openly, openly acknowledging to him our sins and our sinfulness. We don't deserve good things from God. Rather, we acknowledge that we deserve punishment. But thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done, especially and centrally thanking him for his grace and mercy in Christ. And even then, then we come to supplication, bringing our needs and the needs of others before our God. Okay, we can bring our needs without fear, but it's in the context of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. Philippians 4 and verse 6, the apostle tells us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then we have in, in, in Philippians, sorry, in, back in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, one final truth that I want to draw out from this passage this morning. And it says that thankfulness has an avenue. We are to bring our thankfulness to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. <coughs> We are to bring our thankfulness to God through Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's only one way into the presence of God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Sometimes we may look at this particular passage as a negative statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet when we understand it properly, Jesus is saying that there is a way into the very presence of God. All other avenues lead away from God into deception and falsehood. If we stand in our pride and in some way, shape or form say, I'll do it my way, we will be humbled by God himself. But if we humbly acknowledge that our, our efforts are all in vain, and bow before Jesus, we find through him a way into the very presence of God himself. There is a way that is open. Not that there are no way to the presence of God. There is a way into the presence of God. We approach God the Father through the Son. Through his work on the cross, Jesus removed our sin and guilt and washed us clean in God's sight. Are you thankful for that? Absolutely. He received, as Jesus received and accepted in himself, all of God's wrath that would have been directed against us and satisfied it completely. And all impediments, all uncleanness and God's righteous offence at our sin has been removed. And he has opened this way to the Father. Through and through Christ we can come 
and we should come. This is not just for salvation, but that's where it starts, but also for that day-by-day, moment-by-moment fellowship with that we have with him now. We should come before the Father through Jesus and deliberately, thoughtfully, consciously give thanks to him. Yeah? Yeah. Now, before I finish, I want to talk about one area which I find impacts me and I'm sure others. Depression. Anybody here suffer occasionally from depression? Just me? No. The psalmist asked himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? This is one of the places where this happens in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? We might translate this for ourselves. Why am I down in the dumps? Okay, here we are in the cellar digging holes. Life doesn't seem to be getting any better. Is this you? Or it has been you or could be you? Many of us face these challenges. But the psalmist continues. He says, hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, the best book I've ever read on this matter, which I could recommend to you, is Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. Still available, and I think even the, the recordings of the sermons or the talks which Martin Lloyd-Jones gave are still available also. But I want to just sort of finish off this morning by recounting the words of three other wise men. Warren Wearsby, uh, a modern author, he says, An attitude of gratitude is a wonderful weapon against unbelief, disobedience, a hard heart and a bitter spirit. Instead of complaining about what we don't have, let's be thankful for what we do have because God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. We can't control the circumstances of life, but we can control how we respond to them. That's what faith is all about. Daring to believe that God is working everything for our good, even when we don't feel it or feel like it or see it happening. And everything gives thanks isn't always easy to obey, but obeying this command is the best antidote against a bitter and critical spirit. Another man, George Morrison, a Scottish preacher, said, nine-tenths of our unhappiness is selfishness. And it is an insult cast in the face of God. And Matthew Henry states, Indeed, he who thanks God for his mercies shall never want a mercy to thank, for which to thank him for. For every stream should lead us to the fountain. And finally, some words I'm sure which are familiar by a fellow called Jay Oatman. Something we should do when we are downcast. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed. Heard these words before? When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. What comes next? Count your blessings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, we can just get carried away in our feelings. But if we actually consciously, deliberately, as an activity, sit down and think... What has God done for me? And list what God has done for you. Yeah, the circumstances around our life that cause us to be depressed may not change much, but our heart's attitude does. And I find that sitting down and consciously thinking 
of the goodness that God has given to us is one of the best antidotes to depression that I've ever come across. Makes you want to sing, doesn't it? Well, you will in a minute. So let's come and pray first. Father God, oh, we just bow before you that in your graciousness to us, in the midst of our undeserving, you deal with our entitlement, you deal with our self-centered focus. And we thank you for the grace that you give us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we bow in worship, thanking you for all the good that you have done, all the good that you are doing and all the good that you will do for us, not because we deserve it, but because you're such an amazing God. Father, help us to respond to you with a heart filled with thankfulness that overflows into our lips and into our music so that we may worship you with thanksgiving and rejoice in you and delight in you and that we may focus on that which you have given us to equip us to walk faithfully and joyfully before you. Father, thank you for this time this morning and thank you for your word. Help us to receive its truth and walk with you in joy. In Jesus' name, amen.